I'm so happy you've made it to the pastor-paul.com website and are hanging in here with the Pastor Paul community where we can do so much good to pursue our emotional and spiritual well-being together. This community is so important and your support and help mean the world. That's why I like to provide benefits like this bonus podcast with Pastor Ellie Dote today. You're going to be amazed to hear her journey from being born a biological male to realizing, uh, to being accepted in the church, to realizing she wasn't accepted in the church and, and coming to a place of saying, I'm going to transition my body to match the soul inside and how she sees all of this theologically. You're not going to want to miss this podcast. So let's jump right into it. The Post-Evangelical Podcast Bonus Edition with Pastor Ellie Dote at pastor-paul.com. What's very interesting about your story as we lean into this today is you weren't always Ellie Dote. You were born biologically male, correct? Yes. I grew up in, in Southern California, grew up Catholic, and in high school decided that I was going to give my life to the Lord because I needed a relationship with God over religion as it was put to me. And so you would um, yeah. you have considered yourself gay at that time? I want to hear more about that process of recognizing who you truly were inside, because I think there are a lot of people asking those questions today. I knew from a very early age that I was very effeminate. I had a very big aversion to the things that were considered typically male, whatever that's worth. At that point in time, it was considered normal for boys to be roughhousing on the playground and playing sports and all of that. And I would much rather be talking with my friends who were girls and we would do gymnastics out in the playground and pick flowers and skip around and all of that. And I didn't realize that there was anything wrong with that until, until it was expressed to me by the teachers. And all of a sudden, then I have this self-conscious notion of I, I need to hide all of this. I need to try to be as male as I could be. But that was a really big struggle. And so I became really introverted. And I, I learned that church was a place where I could avoid all of that. So I started out in music ministry in the Catholic Church, following my uncle's footsteps. And in high school, again, I gave my life to Jesus because I thought that's what I needed to avoid being gay. As I was trying to deal with my own identity and trying to avoid the questions of that, I tried to get more and more involved with church because that was a place where I was accepted. That was a place where I thought I could avoid becoming gay. And as it turns out, there's, you know, the evangelical church teaches that if you are struggling with quote unquote sin in your life, then you need to have more of Jesus. And down here in Orange County and Southern California, that's not a problem. I was going to church six days a week and Saturday was my day off and then it would start all over again. <laughs> how, how interesting and, that you found acceptance in the church more so than on the playground at school. And I think that's one of the big criticisms I hear from people like Mark Driscoll, who really hammered home the idea of Christianity has become too, as a worship pastor at that time, it wasn't frowned upon for somebody 
to be leading worship that was more in touch with their feelings and more expressive and all of that. So it really be was a good fit for me, but I really was in essence trying to just avoid where this questions that I had of my own gender identity. And I didn't even have words for it at that time. Yeah. This is also during this was also during the, the mid to late 80s when the AIDS epidemic was happening. So in many ways, what I saw in the media um really centered around this idea of if you're gay, you're going to catch AIDS and die. And that was, I didn't want that for myself. I was trying to avoid being what everybody, what it felt everybody was expecting me to be. Wow. So you began to explore your sexuality. You were involved in ministry. Obviously that's going to run you into conflict in, in your church world. Yeah, I was, Actually, in a, I left my position as a pastor in Fresno. Which, for anybody who doesn't know, Fresno is where I live and am headquartered out of. And so Ellie and I know many of the same people in the same spaces, yeah. for sure. And we moved up to the Bay Area, to the East Bay, and took a job there. And little did I expect that I would be working for a very abusive pastor. If I, if any, anybody watches the show Succession on HBO, I could name off which characters in the show were people I worked with at that church because their personalities were pretty identical to the way that church was run. In fact, I was telling somebody yesterday oh, on Twitter that my now ex-wife was caught the one of the pastors embezzling funds and conf not confronted him about it, but went to the elders about it. And instead of them disciplining the pastor, they disciplined her for not following the Matthew 18 principle. Wow. So in the middle of all that, I started to just lose my faith in church and lose, then lose my desire to even work in church. And then it became more, I don't know what I believe because I, this is the second church that I've been at now where I have experienced a negative experience or had a ne negative experience in ministry. And so as I started pulling back on my own faith and letting go of all of these hangups that I had in needing to be involved in church as much as possible, I, I began to have to face those questions that I had been avoiding for most of my life. And this was, mind you, in the middle of the Prop 8 battle here in California about gay marriage. And right. so there were very clear lines that were driven about or that were drawn about the gay community, both in church as well as in as well as in the LGBT community. And I remember in it specifically, I watched as there was a theater manager who was in Sacramento, who was Mormon. And because he was Mormon and gave to his church, his name was listed in the group of people who had donated towards the, the band gay marriage side of things. And so his stance was outed. And because he worked with so many theater actors who are part of the LGBT community, they threatened him, they 
doxed him. They outed his outed his entire family about it, and it became a huge deal. And now I don't know if he's been reinstated, but he was blacklisted from the theater community for a long time. And that really told me that neither side is safe to try and explore these questions that I have. And I, where was I going to go? to to ask these questions of what is my identity what where what is my am i gay i don't know i certainly have feminine inclinations uh being in and you were married at this time yes i got married in 2003 we actually moved in together in 2001 which was a big no-no but we kept that on the dl and just yeah. So we were married. We had three kids and I was pretty certain I wasn't gay because I was still attracted to women. And, but I remember those questions coming up and haunting me day in and day out. And being in the Bay Area, it was there were communities and places where I could where I knew I could explore those that. And so I did. I went and I went, ended up in the bathhouse one night out in San Jose. And well, it was, I, I can't lie, it was fun. But right, I remember right. in the middle of that going, I, I can't see myself attracted to anybody here. I'm just not, I don't have any sort of connection right here to, to males. I remember at one point in time, just being so frustrated and going, God, what in the world? Am I like the only gay man who's not attracted to men? I mean, what sort of cruel joke is this? And that I just- Let me, ju you know. let me jump in for one second that I think is really pertinent in your story here is how in the, in, in the book of Romans, I'm always struck how it says the law is not the answer to sin. The law creates sin or points us towards sin. And because you can't find open spaces to discuss what's going on inside of you, you were chased to do so in secret. And that's to me like, and I think you're saying it well, that it's not just in the church space. It's sometimes it's in the public space as well. And we've got to provide room for people to start to say, hey, I'm feeling something and I just need to be able to process it through so I don't have to run and do it in secret and, and do things that might harm me if I, as opposed to if I were able to do so in a safe way and in a safe space. Yeah. And they was in a space place of going, okay, I'm pretty certain I'm not gay. I don't necessarily know what I'm dealing with, but I have to, I just have to internalize it. And I fell into this major depression probably for the next decade or so. It's a really dark time trying all sorts of medications. A lot of the thought process behind that was because it was really just a negative experience at our church in Fremont. And yeah, about 10 years later, I started getting sick. Sorry about the graphic details of this, but I started getting sores, MRSA sores, and I remember starting to go to the doctor over them. Now, at the time, I was DJing for weekend events at a water park in Clovis, and I just chalked it up to a must have just it's a water park i must have just gotten an infection because of the water mm. whatever and who knows maybe that was part of it but then it started becoming worse and worse and then i got fatigued and everything and the doctors just kept me putting me on more and more medication and it wasn't until about three years later when the doctor finally said let's do some lab work because why not yeah and 
this was in November of 2016 that the test results came back and it was determined that I was HIV positive. And not only was I HIV positive, but um, I had been living with it for 10 years, undiagnosed and untreated. And I was dying of AIDS. It had gotten to the point where I, there was, they weren't even certain why I was alive. My, my T cell count was incredibly low. It was at 26 and a normal person's T cell count is at 1500. And the virus had multiplied so many times it was out of control in my system, which I had to then quit my job. I was working as a web designer and try to figure things out. And so having to then come clean to my wife, I, it started that conversation process of then what are, what are you going through? What is this? What is your identity? Because let's face it, regular heterosexual cisgender men don't have to figure out like this. They don't need to have sex with men to figure out, oh, am I gay or not? That's just not something that happens. And I ended up turning to Google to try and figure out just like what in the world is going on with me. And that's where I found the first story of somebody who had transitioned. And immediately it was like this light bulb that went on of, oh my goodness, that's me. That's my experience. And the more mm. stories I read, the more it became clear that, that I was transgender and uh, how much of a struggle was all of this with your faith then and your Christianity at that point? And how did you deal with that struggle? When we left the church in Fremont, I decided that I was, I could not trust church leadership. It had damaged me that much. I was really not in a place of, I still considered myself a Christian, but I couldn't trust, trust church enough to become a part of it. I There was a cynical side of me that really said, it's all just a show. It's all a sham. I even look at the church that I went to, and I could tell you the exact formula that he uses to, to craft a sermon. And it follows that same formula every single time just to emotionally manipulate people into coming forward at the invitation, at the altar call. And it's... Uh, and so when I came out, it wasn't really a big deal about in terms of my faith because I didn't think that I would ever return to church as it was. And I had no desire to go back to church. I reconciled wow. it with myself theologically. I built, I did a lot of study on my own to figure out, okay, I really want to know that I'm, I'm okay with God. and You're not going uh, to hell. Yeah, basically. It wasn't really like a, I need to be able to argue my faith and do go into the apologetics of things. And, but I wanted to know that I was okay to come out and transition. And so I did. And as I recovered, I be began transitioning. And that was about five years ago. We've been talking a lot about LGBTQ+. Plus issues, non-binary folks in the realm of Christianity and spirituality. And where did our beliefs come from? How did we get here? I struggle with that all the time. And I struggle hard to, to love my Republican friends who voted to still argue for Trump. I struggle to see any sort of good within him. And, and yet that's what I'm called to do.
And yes, we all sin, but sin isn't this list of rules that we are have so, been told so many times to follow. Everything has to fall within those parameters of love God and love each other. Because every single person that you meet, every single person that you encounter is a bearer of the image of God. And so often we forget that. We're easy to talk about that with the unborn. It's easy for us to say, oh, we have to protect these, these people, that these babies that are being formed in the womb. And because they are made in the image of God, they hold the image of God. But then as soon as they're born, then you're like, no, not you. Supporting a fetus doesn't cost me anything. Yeah. And so it's a very easy thing to do. The thing that I see that is the problem is we've boiled down Christianity to, are you going to heaven? Yes or no. And we've boiled it down to, and I hear this from my evangelical friends all the time. And I guess, I guess I probably am not one to this point, but it's, it's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's all the grace of Jesus. And you can't be gay. Well, that's not grace. Roman says that if I am now, I can now brag about my righteousness. If it's based on any rule in any way whatsoever, I get to brag on my righteousness. I get to say, I'm not those people. Just the story of the public and the religious leader praying in the story. God, thank you. I'm not like those people. And if I can ever make that statement in any way, even if I try to say, I love the sinner, I just hate their sin. You are now that religious person that Jesus said, you don't inherit the kingdom of heaven because the law is to love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor includes the Samaritan, that marginalized person that doesn't fit your race, your religion, your belief of who has favor with God. And I really think Christians ought to read, be required every year to read Jonah chapter four and be Jonah. Like say, what would God say to us if I said, God, I don't want you to have grace on those people. I don't want you to have mercy. on. I would rather be dead than live in a world where you have mercy on people that I don't think deserve your mercy. And see what we think God would say to us about that in our great theology that we're protecting. Yeah, I do want to show people the book real quick. It's probably backwards on the screen. I don't know. But it is Walking Towards Cordelia, A Story of Becoming, Accepting, and the Journey to Get There. You want to tell us about the book? Yes, it's Walking Towards Cordelia. It is my memoir of learning how uh, how I came to terms with who I am. It also describes my struggle to find a place to exist within the church and that struggle that continues on of, of where where can I exist as a trans person in the world who loves who loves Jesus and honestly looks at what Jesus did and looks at what Jesus accomplished in his life and looks admirably at it at what he did and and loves him for that they find it highly important my my job is to tell people the gospel and the gospel is not as what we've made it in evangelicalism of are you going to as you said are you going to heaven or not it's telling people that god loves them right where they're at yeah. you know it's not up to us to point out oh you're trans you can't come to god or you're gay you're sinning the one that god condemned the was lucifer who thought he knew better than god oh god you're not handling this correctly 
let me point out to you where where you went wrong. And God said, no, that's the sin of pride. I've seen that meme popped, popping around every so often. Of God used, uh, it was pride that turned angels into demons. Yeah, it was pride, but it was pride that said, I know better than God. And if you think that God gave it, God gave us free will and then leaves it up to us. And so we look at that and we go, oh, well, but. I really don't think that people should have free choice about their bodies. Yeah. You know, something? are we putting ourselves up there with saying, I know better than God, because that's a dangerous place to be. It wasn't God that's, that came to Adam and Eve and said, you sinned. You cannot have anybody. You cannot have any place here. It was the accuser that came in and said, these are the things that you've done. This is why God can't love you. And too often the church has opted to be the voice of the accuser over the voice of God who clothed mm. Adam and Eve once they realized that they were naked, who covered them and cared for them. My journey in this has been an interesting one. I would say as a senior pastor of an evangelical church, I was very accepting of queer people, very much wanted them to be a part of our community, but not affirming. And what I didn't say to our queer people that came was, oh, by the way, there's a line you can't cross. There's a curtain you cannot go behind that hetero people can. And in some ways, I think that is a graver danger and a greater cruelty than the crazy independent fundamentalist Baptist pastors who are out there saying really hor horrific things about gay people. Because I think it's an insidious, this love the love the sinner, hate the sin mentality of the church, I think is insidious because it makes us feel like we're doing what God has for us to do. But yet we're still holding a line that says you don't get to cross this. You're Like you say, we're withholding God's love from people. And so for me, it hit me one day that Jesus post-ascension came to Peter and in this vision of the animals and the sheets coming down. And here comes all these animals that Peter is banned from eating by the Bible, by scripture. You can't eat these, Peter. Scripture is clear. You cannot eat pork. You cannot eat shrimp. You cannot eat lobster. Thank goodness we got rid of that one. And Jesus, or a voice from heaven, somebody that Peter calls Lord, says, eat this, Peter. And he says, hell no, I won't eat that. And maybe he thought it was a test from heaven or something, but he says, sovereign Lord, I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. And Peter says, hell no. That's how strong a response he had. And and in essence, I'll, not to elongate this, what I saw is here was Jesus saying to Peter, who is your Lord, your scripture and your interpretation of it or me? Is it the law that's written in your text and your people's interpretation of it or is it me? And if I tell you to love somebody if that, that your people and your scripture tell you not to love, will you love them anyway? And I think it's where we miss it. And we use go and sin no more, totally missing that what happened before Jesus said, go and sin no more, the one time and only time he ever said it, he pronounced the woman completely uncondemned. You are well, not I'm... condemned and your condemners have been chased away. So I just, we've really missed 
the heart of Jesus in this matter. And, you know, it. you have to remember that it was Jesus that said, go and sin no more. And so when we say, see, Jesus said that, are you Jesus? When Jesus... Dealt with the woman who was caught in the middle of caught in the middle of adultery. You look at that and we go, "Oh, Jesus told her, nor do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin." Are in this story? You think that you're the one left standing there after Jesus said, "Go." No, you you are one of the people holding rocks ready to stone her. And if you think for a moment that you are Jesus in this then you ha- you are falling into that very sin of pride that Lucifer fell into. And that's a really big temptation. I'm going over your time that you've allotted to me. And so I hope you'll give me grace to do that just a little bit. I, I want to ask, as you were making a decision that, and you had walked away from your faith at that time, but you made a decision to transition in your life from your biological gender to female and just theologically and all those things. How did you feel that through and make that decision? And I'm asking this because I truly believe there are a lot more people than are willing to say out loud that they're struggling with some of these issues, the gender fluidity or sexual identity. And I just think it would be helpful to hear from a pastor, a lover of Christ, how you went through that process and came to make the decision that you did. Well, I have to say, first and foremost, that I was I was not in the norm in all of that. I really struggled with a lot of it. And it's scary. It is very scary to come out. I knew that it would affect my marriage. I knew that it would affect some of my friendships. But I also know that for me, I was recovering from almost dying of AIDS. And so I was did not necessarily have the beginning portion of my transition in public because for the first five, six months of that, I was still pretty closed up in the house and and not really interacting with many people. Coming out, yeah, I started interacting with an entirely new group of people and, and that's where I started coming into the space of, okay, I can do this. I can be Ellie. I created a, a page on fa- my a new Facebook account and started letting people in slowly to that as I started coming out. I had to rush that along a little bit faster than I think I was ready to, but that was because my oldest was graduating and my and my parents were coming into town and we had to tell them that I was start already presenting as female. And they were going to definitely notice a difference. And But everybody's journey is different. And I know that doesn't make it easy. There's not really a formula to, to coming out. But I will tell you that it is the, the best decision I've made apart from having my kids. And it's, I've... The biggest thing that has confirmed for me my faith has been that my faith up until that point had been so enveloped with this idea of this was my cross to bear. I need to continually pray and protect myself against this struggle. And so I'm praying, God, why did you do this? How could you make me this way? Why are you giving me this struggle? Save me from this over and over. And that was my life for 
almost 20 years, more than that, maybe. And then when I came out and I accepted, okay, God, this is who you made me to be. There was such a freedom in that when I was freed from feeling so miserable about how God made me and allowed myself this freedom of going, God, thank you. I can enjoy life now. And I see so much clearer now your love for me. And I can celebrate that now. I feel joy because of that. I can't look at that difference and go, wait, no, I, I need to return back to where I was in my evangelical roots because it was just miserable. And, my, and when you say with the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom, that wasn't freedom. That definitely wasn't freedom. But this is. And I look and I think about one of the most impactful worship experiences that I've had. It's been since I came out. I was with the Reformation Project, helping to lead worship there with a room full of people who were L part of the LGBT community or allies. And because of that, they had been shunned, kicked out of the church. This was a room full of people that had every right to walk away from the church and say, no, never doing that again. But they chose to be there that night and they were worshiping God in the midst of what every church, what all those churches were saying and pointing and saying, you have no right to worship God. They were there and they showed up. And that to me was just the most amazing experience to to be in a room like that. And I would say if you are still in a spot of going, I can't see, I don't agree. I don't agree with the LGBT community. I would challenge you to go to a place where queer people are worshiping, to recognize that those churches outside are saying you don't belong in church. And yet these people still come and seek God. The church has hurt them so much in the name of Jesus, and they still show up. I challenge you to go experience that and then come back and say, I can't see God in the LGBT community. Wow. And it just makes me think, isn't that exactly how they determined in the New Testament that Gentiles could be Christians? They're like, I know what the Bible says. You can only be Jewish. This is what we believe. You have to be Jewish to uh, circumcised to be a Christian. But I've seen the Holy Spirit on these people. And therefore, they must be one of us. Oh, that's beautiful. We'll, we'll end on that. So Ellie, thanks for coming and having this conversation today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So tell everybody where they can find you before we go. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Pastor Ellie. You can find my book on Amazon.com, uh, Walking Towards Cordelia. And um, you can find my blog at EllieDote.com. Beautiful stuff. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Oh, of course.